Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Soprano. Okay, let's get this out of the way. Part of this podcast is going to be morbid because we're talking with Dr. Lee Miller from the University of Missouri. Dr. Miller is going to discuss some of the issues he's seen on bent grass, putting greens in his part of the transition zone, including pythium root rot, black layer, and lance nematodes. Dr. Miller is also going to discuss some uplifting topics, including the PGA Championship, which is being played this month at Belle Reve Country Club in St. Louis. Dr. Miller is going to give us an agronomic perspective on the St. Louis growing environment and why he thinks it's one of the most challenging in the world. We're glad that Dr. Miller was able to take some time to join us. A brutally difficult growing season like this current one makes life very busy for a turfgrass pathologist. So it was nice to catch up with Dr. Miller. Well, Dr. Miller, thanks for taking the time to join us. I know it's been a pretty crazy summer for you. In fact, in the last article you wrote, the title of it, this season unprecedentedly sucks. Explain (laughs) everything that's gone on in your part of the country since April. Well, uh, I apologize for the lack of subtlety in that title. So we've gone through a, a pretty rough weather pattern, uh, and in particular when we're, we're talking about cool season turf grasses. So if you really trace it back, it, it started in, in last September, October, and November when we had uh, pretty, pretty unprecedented drought conditions. We were running an inch to two inches below normal for each one of those months. And uh, what, was, what was unique about that is that most of the time in this area, we're shutting down and blowing out irrigation systems when we're in November. But actually, we were recharging, uh, and actually I know some superintendents that had to recharge three times um, just to make sure that their their bent grass putting greens went into the winter um, with enough water to make it through that that desiccation period and that that kind of dry period. So that was uh, an interesting start, and and perhaps the, the start of of some of this bent grass root decline and, and some of the stress that, that we've had on, on our putting greens in this region. And just to, just to, uh, just to kind of show you that, I mean, we are all bent grass putting greens here in, in Missouri. Our, our winters are much too cold. Uh, we get down in the teens, um, and actually in December through February, our low temperature averages uh, are in the 20s. So we don't have the uh, the luxury of growing ultra dwarf Bermuda grass greens um, when we get into the hot summer months. So, with that being said, we we made it through that that fall period and and went into a spring which was uh, unlike any other. Uh, we started with the second coldest April on record. Um, we had snow three consecutive Sundays in a row, um, and one of those were was Easter Sunday. Uh, and then we transitioned into the hottest May on record. Uh, we started having 90-degree temperatures in the first week of May. And so we basically went from 30, 40, 50 degrees and just vaulted right into 90 degrees. Um, when we get into spring, that normally is when we think of putting on bentgrass roots and, and having good growing conditions and, and you know, bentgrass being a a European plant really likes 50 degrees to 70 or 75 degrees, and we really didn't see that uh, for for almost nine calendar months as we went through April and, and into the very hot May. 
So we weren't able to put those bent grass roots down and really put those into our bank accounts uh, to start trying to cash the checks that were invariably coming in, in June through August, and actually this year, May through August. So we got into to June, and June was the eighth warmest on record, and July just ended, and it's going to be about average uh, after the last couple days, which have cooled down, thankfully. We are entering into an August period, though, unfortunately, which is going to rocket right back up into high temperatures. So we have seen very, very short routes. Um, I have, I've had more samples than I've ever had come into the diagnostic clinic, double if not triple um, on some weeks. So it's been, it's been, quite, a, uh, it's been quite, a, quite a roller coaster season here in Missouri. Yeah, what is it like in the lab when you're getting so many samples, and and what are some of the wild things you, you've seen here in the last few months? Well, I, I won't say that I've seen anything necessarily wild um, and unique. Um, what I've seen is just the intensity and the frequency has, has really ratcheted up. So we've noted a, a lot of pythium root rot this year with too much water. Um, we are in a drought situation here in Missouri, um, so you would think that that would that would be counterintuitive, but when we're com- constantly putting water on, um, we tend to, to overkill somewhat. Um, and if you combine that with what we've had with the amount of root decline, that root decline is contributing to a large amount of organic matter. Those decline roots basically, and, and that organic matter act as a sponge, and they keep all that water up high in the soil profile. Uh, that leads to pythium root rot, which is almost a self-fulfilling kind of cycle. So we've seen, we've seen a lot of that, particularly early on when we got into to mid and late May, in, in, in June and somewhat in July. The other thing we've seen a ton of, more than I've ever seen, is black glare. Normally we'll see it, and, and it might be one finger width that's in the soil profile and, and might be causing a little bit of problems, um, but I've seen some of it that is four or five finger widths. So we're talking four or five inch um, width uh, black layers that are in the soil profile that are causing problems. It's, it's definitely been unique and, and very difficult in those respects. Pythium root rot is a nasty sounding disease. What happens when somebody maybe has it on his or her golf course? What are some tactics for controlling it or limiting it? So pythium root rot really is, is a preventative uh, type of disease. It, it, you know, particularly when we talk of, of any soil-borne issue, by the time you see the, the root decline um, and the symptoms that go on on the surface, it's, it's kind of too late. The baby has kind of already been thrown out with the bathwater, um, so to speak. So it's important that, uh, particularly in areas that you know, have had pythium root rot in the past to be on a preventative program. So fungicides that that's uh, the one that seems to be work the best is is Segway, and that really has been kind of a corner pin um, of most of the pythium root rot uh, fungicide programs. So, but you can't spray that alone on its own. Uh, pythium root rot is is kind of a consortium of a number of different pythium species that we know can cause it, and we're really concerned about resistance buildup when we talk about we already have, um, in some cases, in some populations where pythium blight uh, has been 
resistant uh, or has become resistant to mefenoxam or subdue. So we want to make sure that we're using a rotation of fungicides, using Segway as a backbone, but also rotating in Banal, Subdue, uh, Stellar, and some of those, and Signature, and some of those other ones in a succession so that you're kind of not hitting, you know, just with a jab the whole time. You're kind of coming with a right uppercut and, a, uh, and, and mixing up the punches where, where this disease is concerned. And what about black layer? Uh, how much do golf course superintendents know about black layer? What are some signs that maybe it's occurring on the greens on your course? And how do you handle it if you do have it? So black layer is, is fairly common. We we really have articles dating back into the 70s. And, and it's not just with turf grass, which is interesting. So black layer causes problems in rice and citrus and root decline of, of various other cl- crops. Um, and really what black layer is, is it's tied to the oxygen condition in the soil. So when we rob the soil of oxygen by filling the pore space, particularly with water, anaerobic bacteria predominate. Those anaerobic bacteria use sulfur the way that we use oxygen as its respiratory molecule. In doing so, it produces sulfide as a byproduct. The sulfide reacts with metal, such as iron and magnesium, to make what is that black layer. That, that metal sulfide is a basically chemically inert and is kind of our indicator. What we smell from uh, black layer, though, is hydrogen sulfide, and that's where the real problem lies. Uh, that is extremely toxic to roots. Um, as low as 1,000 parts per million will kill bent grass in the matter of of seven days. So when you have that residing anywhere in your soil profile, and I think that's what's important, is it it can be anywhere, um, then you have that hydrogen sulfide gas release, which is acting as a toxin to the roots. So the the issue here is there's really nothing that comes out of a sprayer that's going to help you with this. Um, you know, one thing that is tied to black layer is also surface algae. So that surface algae will kind of trap that, that water in the, in the soil profile. So something that's going to attack the surface algae is, is one thing. But really when it comes down to uh, black layer uh, prevention and also to, for curative control or to enact recovery, we're really looking at venting um, and you should think of, or superintendent should think of venting almost like a fungicide program. You should be putting something out, uh, that, that airifier out with some kind of solid time, pencil, bayonet, something that's going to open up and, you know, I, I kind of actually smoke, smoke meats and brisket. So it's almost like burping your smoker to, to release a little bit of heat out of it. The same thing kind of goes for golf course putting greens. The other aspect is black layer is extremely tied to drainage. So if you have greens that in particular have black layer year after year, look at your subsurface draining because if that water is not coming out and and exiting through the drain pipes, it's just residing in that soil and replacing the the oxygen in the air. And the other aspect is, is, is look, particularly if you have liners on greens, or anywhere around the edges of greens, that interface between your heavier soil and your sand, you can have water trapped along those margins. So 
knowing where and perhaps uh, installing smile drains or some kind of drainage to get that water um, out of those areas will help with black layer prevention. Superintendents are obviously trained to scout with their eyes, but it seems like you're saying that they also have to have their sense of smell going when there's a summer <laughs> like this one, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's very odd because um, I, I like the quizzical look on a superintendent's face when I get his soil profile and I, I immediately turn it to my nose um, <laughs> because that that hydrogen sulfide is, is what we term the smell of death. And, and most times you can see that black layer, but a lot of times, particularly, you can you can use your nose and really really pick it up. And um, interestingly, I, I've driven some, I've gone out to on some visits and driven some samples back, and unfortunately stopped to have lunch and got back in the, my truck. And the smell of of black layer is unlike any other. Um, it those samples tend to to go back in the bed of the truck very quickly. Um, because that is not the air freshener that you want uh, in your vehicle when you're riding down the road, that's for sure. How do you rid your truck of that smell? It's probably more than just Febreze you have to use once you have some black layer in the wrong part of the truck. <laughs> no, it's it's opening up the windows, and, uh, you know, sometimes you got to put your head outside the window a little bit like a dog and and uh, and feel the, the, uh, the fresh air kind of rush into your nostrils. We don't mean to be completely dour on this podcast, but we haven't talked about nematodes yet. What type of issue are nematodes in your part of the transition zone and what types are you seeing this summer? Yeah, boy, this is, uh, when you talk to a pathologist, it's it's normally a morbid uh, conversation and not all bright and sunny, that's for sure. So nematodes are another issue that, that we've dealt with here in Missouri. Um, it's commonly thought of being a southeastern problem, uh, but we definitely see these issues in bentgrass putting greens here um, in the Midwest or the Mid-South, I, I tend to just call us the upper transition zone. Um, so we do have a couple courses in, on the west side in Kansas City that have had, actually had sting nematode problems. I think they have actually carted those in uh, with zoysia surrounds, perhaps, that were brought up from uh, southern areas of the, of the country. But when we're talking about particularly the St. Louis area, uh, a couple years ago, we had some outbreaks of root knot nematodes that were caused by um, Malorigine nausea. Um, so we, we've kind of gotten those under control with some of the newer nematicide products that are out, uh, in particular Devonim and Endevinum 5 for that one. The bigger problem this year has been the lance nematodes, um, and this is a very tricky one to control. Um, it is both an ectoparasite, so feed outside the root, um, but also, quite nefariously, it will dig and go into the roots. And this is the second largest plant parasitic nematode that we deal with. Um, it is a big nematode. So when it is bur burring through what is comparatively a pretty thin bentgrass root, it is doing some major damage. Uh, we know that some previous studies out of Kansas State, actually done by, by Dr. Derek Settle um, while he was there, show that he could sustain um, quite a large number of these lance nematodes in the 400, 500, 600 level. Now, the issue with that is that that is not the St. Louis summer <laughs> that we are having now, um, and in particular the Missouri summer. So those stressful conditions, along with these high lance nematode counts, uh, have produced some fairly severe um, bentgrass root decline. 
And in particular, some of these levels that we're seeing are, are not in the 500 or 600 level. They're up into the 1,000 or 2,000 per 100 cc's of soil, which basically is, is just about a handful of soil. And at those levels, we're seeing some significant root decline. Now, control of that, um, honestly, we don't know. Uh, indemnify does not seem to control lance nematodes in the, in the um, studies that, that we've looked at. Uh, Devonim, unfortunately, ties up to organic matter. So, you know, getting that product farther than an inch or an inch and a half down is, is very difficult. And large amounts of post-application irrigation are needed to, to try and do that. And then the third product is, is Nimitz, um, and that's a granular product, and we're just not sure of the efficacy of that. So unfortunately right now for lance nematode control on some of these, um, these, on some of these greens that have very high populations, we don't really have a good nematicide to, to recommend for curative control. So that's, that's led to, you know, superintendents just trying to, to put down Devonim or to put down Nimitz and, and try and curtail the populations as best they can. What is it like telling a superintendent who never suspected nematodes being an issue on his or her golf course that they do have a nematode issue? How tough is it to, to make that call and explain it to that person? I can hear the sigh and I can, I can feel their eye roll through the phone. So it's, it's difficult, but I, I think that it's, it's important to realize that the environment is also a, a pretty large contributing factor, and that's something that I, I talk about. Um, so it's, unfortunately, the, the problem is with our current environment and what we've gone through this season, it takes a very, very small straw to break the camel's back this year. Um, and, and the nematodes can be, in particular, at some of the levels uh, that we've seen the lance nematodes can really, really push the bent grass over the edge. So it, it comes down to just trying to form a management plan and, um, and in some cases, just just going with the tools that are available. Okay, we're going to go on to something positive now and very uplifting. The state of Missouri is hosting a major golf tournament, men's major golf tournament, for the first time in more than 25 years when the PGA Championship comes to, to Belrive beginning next week. Belrive's in St. Louis. What's the excitement level like? What's the vibe amongst the golf industry community in your part of the country? Uh, it's, it's incredible. Uh, there's there's an incredible level of excitement. Um, I was reading through some past history, and uh, the PGA Championship last came to Bellarive in '92 when Nick Price won. And some of the editorials are that it was like a circus, um, and and how big of an event that was for St. Louis. And uh, some kind of equated it almost to the World's Fair, which was uh, really popular in, in 1904. But for, for a state that doesn't host a regular PGA, PGA event, um, not since the 1970s, we do have some major history with, um, with the 1992 event and then also the 1947 PGA at Norwood Hills. Um, we've had a couple U.S. Opens, one also in 65 at Belle Reve, uh, one at uh, St. Louis Country Club in 1947. Uh, we've had a Ryder Cup in 1971. You know, I'm saying all these, but there's a lot of 19s in there, and there's a lot of, you know, 40, 50, 60 years since we, we've hosted a tournament like this. And um, it is, it is going to be quite the event. I can't wait to, to take part in it. Uh, I'm looking to, to just help out however I can. 
Um, I will clean my shoes thoroughly, being a turf grass pathologist, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and take several showers probably. Um, but but it's 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 going to be very very interesting. And uh, Carlos and his team, I, I think, are ready for it. Um, you know, I've seen all of the uh, the advertisements for it and all the all the great videos that that have come out. And um, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing. A, the world's best really take on what's going to be uh, just an incredible and very challenging venue in in a in a great city and in great state. The the 92 PGA Championship at Bell Reve was interesting for a lot of reasons, but it was the first major championship to be played on zoysia grass fairways. How has the zoysia grass in your part of the world handled this summer, we just had a cover story on zoysia grass possi- possibilities in the transition zone. How has that grass type handled a difficult summer like this? Uh, zoysia grass has, has done fairly well. It has a, a couple pest challenges to it. Um, obviously, large patch occurs in spring and fall when zoysia grass is either going to or coming out of dormancy and, and growing fairly slow. But when it comes to that, you know, May really helped out zoysia grass and, and really launched it. Uh, into this summer, um, so Georgia grass fairways, for the most part, in this in this neck of the woods, and and also lawns. Uh, we have about 10% of our lawns in the state that are Georgia grass. They've done they've done really well um, and, and thrived as well as as most uh, warm season grasses have. There are a couple insect issues, uh, chinch bugs. We've seen some outbreaks of that, and then also bill bugs. So there are some some issues with uh, with Georgia grass and. And honestly, in this neck of the woods and, and all throughout the transition zone, uh, we can grow any grass we want to. We just can't grow them, any of them very well. So <laughs> this has been comparatively a, a very good summer for zoysia grass. And, and I like playing off zoysia grass. It's a, it's a nice uh, tight lie, and, and the ball tends to sit up on, on very stiff leaf blades. So I, 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 pref- I prefer zoysia grass fairways over over some of the other species. Yeah, St. Louis is probably the gateway to zoysia grass. It might be the biggest market in the country with an abundance of zoysia grass. How much have you learned about that grass type since arriving at the University of Missouri, and how much time do you, do you spend studying it in your daily job? Quite a bit on, on both respects. So zoysia grass, at least in Missouri, is, is Meyer zoysia grass. So it's one particular cultivar. Um, and we have uh, we've done some, an NTEP study. I actually got a hold of, of uh, Kevin Morris, and he let me let a pathologist in on this game. So I was looking at, at large patch um, tolerance and resistance and some of the new zoysia grass genotypes that went in in the 2013 zoysia grass trial. Uh, we planted that right before the polar vortex. So we were planting that in July and December and in January, we had uh, sub-zero temperatures um, on a number of occasions. So actually, that year, we lost 33 out of 35 of those zoysia grass varieties. Uh, only two of them remained. Um, one was a, a, an experimental variety, but the other one was Meyer. Uh, so there's a reason why we grow Meyer zoysia grass here. Uh, I know that Kansas State has a new zoysia grass variety that's coming out that, that we're excited, um, and there, there's some new geno, genotypes and new genetics that are coming out that, that are going to have more cold tolerance and perhaps even more large patch resistance, which, 
is the, the major pest problem in this region. So one thing that we've looked at on the pathology side is, is where large patch is concerned. Um, we've looked at fungicide application timing and have found that early spring applications are, are very good for large patch prevention, um, something we weren't expecting. Uh, most superintendents in the region are going with two fall um, and maybe one curative spring app, whereas now perhaps one fall app or two fall apps and one early spring app, even when the zoysia grass is dormant, um, has, has resulted in very good control of large patch for us. In particular, we also were looking at nitrogen management. So large patch is, is closely related, at least the pathogen is, to brown patch on tall fescue. And we know that over-fertilization of tall fescue, particularly during the summer, will lead to increased brown patch severity. That automatically translated to large patch. And so when we got into springtime, most of our superintendents were really hesitant to put any nitrogen on to kind of spark zoysia grass and, and get it grow, growing because they feared that there would be more large patch or more intense large patch severity. We actually found that that is not the case whatsoever. We found that there, in some cases there were slight reductions in large patch, um, probably because it's just getting that zoysia grass going and growing through the uh, disease severity or the, the infection. And in other cases, there just wasn't any impact at all. Um, so starting, you know, when we get into to temperatures that are suitable for zoysia grass growth, uh, going ahead and applying a little bit of nitrogen to get the plant growing uh, actually is a good thing where large patch is concerned. So besides the ins and outs of zoysia grass, when somebody watches the PGA championship, what else should they know agronomically about St. Louis and the growing environment where the championship is going to be held? I would put St. Louis up against maybe any other climate in the country, if not the world, as far as being the toughest to manage bent grass. And bent grass really is, is the only type of grass that we can grow on golf greens here. Uh, we would have to cover quite a bit to try and grow ultra dwarf and, and get those benefits when we're in 90 degrees, 90 degrees plus during our summertime temperatures. So when that being said, we have high humidity. Uh, St. Louis is an, an urban heat jungle. Um, and also high temperatures that, that rival Atlanta and Charlotte uh, during the summer and actually are, are right on par um, with averages for, for both of those two other cities. So I would say that, that you're looking at the, what I would say one of the toughest growing environments for, the bent, for bent grass putting greens, and therefore there's a lot of, of sweat uh, that goes into managing those greens and providing those surfaces. So I think that that, that really, and, and hosting the world's best on those greens in August, uh, whew, that is, uh, that's, that's a tall order. Um, and I think Carlos and his staff, and I think there should be a, a real appreciation um, for what's gone on there as, as far as the efforts gone into to preparing that site for the tournament and to, to get ready for, for the world's best and, and to put on a great show. So you're saying that the PGA Championship is moving to May a year too late. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is exactly what I'm saying. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it could have done, done it this year for sure, but 
we're up for the task. I, I think that uh, Bellarive and, and Carlos and the staff are, are going to do have have done an excellent job and and are going to really put on a great a great event. After a difficult summer like the one that has been had in in Missouri and in St. Louis, what are some things golf course superintendents can do to best prepare their turf for success in September and October and November and those shoulder season months? Well, I think that's that's time to really uh, take stock and and figure out okay what went wrong this year. I mean, the environment alone killed bent grass this year, um, and I think this this season has really shown that that just just the heat stress and just high humidity and just you know 95 for a couple days in a row, 110 heat indexes, that can kill bent grass on its own. So what are the things, the little tweaks that, that need to be made? In my mind, one of the biggest ones this year is drainage, drainage, and drainage, particularly on those greens that I'm going to use the acronym PITA, P-I-T-A, and you can fill in the blanks. Um, those greens are going to really show this year and, and might take some recovery. During that recovery period, look at the drainage. See how water is moving through the soil profile. Um, don't just go down to where the the cup cutter goes. Actually take a three-quarter inch soil core and lean on it. Get all the way down to that gravel layer and really inspect the whole soil profile. Look for things. Is there an iron cementing layer that might be occurring at the bottom? Is there water that is, is stuck right at that pea gravel layer at the bottom? Or is it all caught up high? Um, look at wetting agent practices. Am I watering in that wetting agent far enough, or am I keeping the water too high up in the profile? So all of those kind of things really surrounding water, because water is a key player when we're talking about pythium root rot, and in particular black layer as well. So both of those I, I think really should be keyed on, and um, I know that some in the region are, are considering some renovation. Um, I know that some in the region are, are going to look at um, actually scoping out their drainage uh, areas and, and renting a camera or trying to get ground-penetrating radar or some of these other ways to actually see what's going on within the drains and making sure that water gets out. Um, you need the water, but you sure as heck need it to get out, too, because stagnant water does nobody any favors. Anybody listening to this podcast knows you're an excellent communicator you do a great job of explaining complicated subject matters you're also an excellent writer and a very effective user of social media if somebody wants to learn more about your work or read more of your, of your work where, where can they go to find you dr miller wow guy i i appreciate all the con kind words <laughs> uh, i'm i'm humbled by those uh, but the the main conduit of everything that I put out is is my website, and that website is turfpath, T-U-R-F-P-A-T-H, dot Missouri dot edu. It also is my, my email, turfpath at Missouri dot edu, if you have any questions. But I write uh, basically reports or, or kind of in a blog format. I try to put those out every two or three weeks. Um, sometimes when I'm as busy as I have been this, this year, it, it comes out maybe once every four weeks. Um, but I'll go through the weather of the region um, and talk about, I have a little section called quick hits, which are just kind of quick blurbs about certain diseases. And then I try to go into one disease or pest issue in, in detail. 
I've written 128 of those uh, in my eight years here. So there's some history. Uh, you can go back on the on the website and, and look through all of that history. I've got all of them cataloged. Um, and one of the ways I, I notify everyone that I'm putting, I've put one of these reports out is on the website you can subscribe to an email listserv. Uh, it's just on the, the left menu bar there. You just basically sign your name, put your email address in. We'll send you an email to make sure you're not a robot. Um, and you'll be notified every time that I put a, uh, uh, one of those blogs out or reports out. I'm also fairly active on Twitter. I'm not perfect at it yet, um, but I, I will do updates, short updates um, on Twitter. My handle is at MUTurfPath, um, and I also will put up, when I, I, I put up a report, I'll also notify my, my Twitter following on that as well. On Facebook, we don't have quite as much, but uh, Mizzou Turfgrass is the, the handle on Facebook as well. Last thing here before we let you go, how does a turfgrass pathologist unwind after a difficult summer? When are you in the clear work-wise, and <laughs> when do you know that things are lightening up on your end? Well, um, I'm, I'm just like every other superintendent, and I count down the days to September 1st. Um, and, and really, for me, it, it comes into day length. So when the, the days start getting down into the, the 13 and the 12-hour the days and, and some of those instead of those longer photo periods, that's when it kind of cools off a little bit. But then I, I kind of launch into large patch season, so that's kind of September, October, and, and also spring dead spot. Uh, we do research on SDS on Bermuda grass. Um, November, December, January, I'm normally on the road. So when I'm unwinding is normally when I'm on a flight or, or in my, my truck to the next destination to speak. But, yeah, it's, uh, I haven't taken a summer vacation in quite a while, if that's what you're getting at. Well, thank you for taking some time in the middle of your busiest season. We really appreciate it. And thanks for all you do for the superintendents in your area and also the superintendents outside your area that read your work or hear you speak at a conference or industry event. I know everybody really appreciates it. And we look forward to seeing you in St. Louis in a few days. Yes. Uh, look forward to seeing you too, Guy. And I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, please, uh, Come if you can and see the PGA Championship at Bellarive, and if not, uh, enjoy it on TV. Hopefully, that will help you unwind a little bit. I'll be there. <laughs> I, I can't wait to see it. Although I think I'm going to have to bring like three changes of clothes each day. Yeah, it's the the August heat is is coming back. That's for sure. Uh, the forecast is looks to be uh, typical for August in St. Louis. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, good luck with the rest of your season. Okay, thanks, guy.